Good morning. It's Wednesday, June 24th. Welcome to Axios Today. I'm Nyla Boodoo. We're here for you for just 10 minutes every weekday morning, so we promise if you give us that time, we'll make you smarter about your day. We're getting started today with one big thing, our one story you can't miss. With millions of Americans out of work, economists are saying certain kind of jobs just won't come back ever. There is a disconnect between what the economic truth is and what people are being told. The true scope of the economic harm just hasn't been discussed and is being overlooked. Also, why news organizations, including ours, are switching to capitalizing the B in Black in our newsletters, website, and app when referring to the Black community. But first, the pandemic's permanent effects on America's labor market is today's one big thing. This February, before the pandemic, we had the best job market we'd seen in 60 years. By April, we had the worst since the Great Depression. So I asked Erica Pandy about this. She covers the future of work. The big stat is something that came out of the University of Chicago last month, where they found that 42% of the pandemic-era temporary job losses are going to be gone forever. Wow. 42% of the job losses that people think are temporary will be permanent? Yep. And that's about 11.6 million American jobs. And are they in specific industries? They tend to be in the retail and hospitality sectors, the travel industry, it's Uber and Lyft drivers, it's flight attendants, it's chefs, it's servers. You know, everybody stayed home. That means no one was eating out, taking an Uber or taking a flight. And all of that is going to result in millions of permanent job losses, even after life goes back to normal. Why wouldn't those jobs come back? You know, I think the the common saying is it takes about 60 days for humans to change their habits. And think about all those people who used to do a weekly grocery trip that are now doing grocery delivery. Maybe some of them are finding that that's more convenient, that that's easier for them, and they'll keep doing that when this is over. People have started cooking more at home who used to eat out every night, and maybe they'll do more of that. Travel is going to get back to normal at some point, but this nervousness and this anxiety that folks have, especially those who are at risk of getting seriously ill because of the virus, is not going to go away after states reopen. There's going to be people who, for a year or even two years, are avoiding airports and Ubers, and that'll definitely impact the jobs in those sectors. And so if these jobs are never coming back, that's 11 million people. What happens to them? There's going to be a sort of a reallocation. I mean, think about World War II when automakers in Detroit almost overnight went from making cars to making airplanes. You're going to see certain sectors add a lot of jobs because the coronavirus is sort of a business boom for them. Grocery workers, delivery workers, between the three of them, Amazon, Instacart, and Walmart have hired nearly 700,000 workers. And then offices and hospitals are also going to hire more cleaning crews. So the jobs that disappear in retail and in hospitality and in the restaurant sector will pop up in delivery and grocery and in cleaning. And I think that makes sense, Erica, but the problem is people don't really switch jobs like that. Their occupations don't get reallocated. Right. You know, the numbers on paper look fine, but if you think about someone who has worked at their local bookstore for several years, to just be told, okay, go work in an Amazon warehouse now, it's just not that simple. And if you lose your job as a graphic designer today, there isn't anyone hiring for that role. And it's going to be very difficult for people in middle management positions, in middle skill jobs to find a comparable job with comparable skill level and comparable pay. You know, that's kind of the second wave of economic harm that we're going to see now is this effect creep up to the white collar jobs. 
Bottom line, many job losses are more permanent than you think, and even more people could be out of work if we're hit by another wave of the pandemic. Erica Pandy covers the future of work for Axios. We'll be back in 15 seconds to talk about an Associated Press and Axios-style change to capitalize the B in Black communities. But first, a quick word from our sponsor. Welcome back to Axios Today. Axios Insider is our sneak peek into the Axios newsroom. And I'm so excited. Our executive editor, the woman behind Axios Today, Sarah Kehalani Gu, is with me now. Hey, Sarah. Good morning, Nyla. Sarah, you were here to discuss something that has been... A really important conversation, I think, within journalism. I think it's really important that we're transparent about this. And that's a decision that Axios made to capitalize the B in Black. Right. So, you know, I don't know if most people know that journalists think about language a lot. And words matter. And words, as we know, like change over time. So when it comes to describing people especially when it comes to race or their identity, we pay close attention and we want to get it right. We know that this is sensitive. We know that also words matter and they can be hurtful. They can be helpful. They can convey a lot of meaning. And so we want to be really intentional about it. You and I are Asian American. That is capitalized. I'm West Indian. That's also capitalized. Is that why there's been a conversation around Black with a capital B? Right, exactly. It started to stand out from the others. I'm Native Hawaiian. I'm Asian American as well. Those are capitalized. So is Hispanic. So is Latino. So at some point, you realize that we're not consistent in how we uh, refer to different communities of people and their identities. It conveys respect. And I think that's why it matters. Sarah Kehalani Gu is my boss. She's the executive editor of Axios. Sarah, thank you for speaking with me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Nyla. We're a nation divided by those with masks and without. I asked Brian Walsh about some new data he has about why that mask divide is so partisan. So I think on the face of it, it seems like anyone who's been paying even the slightest bit of attention to this issue knows that it seems like it would be a partisan issue, whether or not you wear a mask. But the data is now showing this actually a really deep divide. Well, so much about the masks is really what you're seeing around you. And the thing to remember about these masks is that they're not really meant to protect you. They're most effective when it comes to protecting everyone else. So if you are coming from a community that's, you know, thinking about civic responsibility, then you're more likely to wear a mask. If you tend to think that the most important thing to you and your community is individual autonomy, individual freedom, then you might think like, well, why should I wear a mask? It's more important what I get to do. And so I think really, you know, that's where that divide comes at. And that's also where what a political leader is doing really makes a difference. So if the president is someone who obviously has not worn masks, doesn't want to wear masks. Well, if you're conservative, you're going to see him and say, like, why should I do that? So, Brian, when I think about Texas or Arizona, do you think that's going to result in more people there wearing masks? As this pandemic spreads to states where it hadn't hit so hard before, places like Texas, places like Arizona, 
that might actually be something that breaks this political deadlock. If you experience this disease, it feels very differently. You know, here in New York, where I am actually, there's still a difference politically. Republicans are still less likely to wear masks as much as Democrats. But on the whole, you still see more Republicans wearing masks in this state. And I think that's because they see it, A, they've experienced it. But more importantly, most people here wear masks. So if you're going to not wear a mask, then you're the one who's not in line with society, not in line with your community. That makes it even doubly hard. What we're watching for next? As the states that haven't experienced much problems with the virus get worse, will that change people's behavior around wearing masks? Brian Walsh is our future correspondent. Before I let you go today, one thing you're sure to share. And this one is gone! All you Major League Baseball fans can rejoice. Baseball will start back just 30 days from now. It will be a 60-game season, and teams will be playing in empty ballparks. Lots of details still need to be worked out, including the actual opening day, either July 23rd or 24th. But at least one part of summer has been saved. We'll be right back after one more word from our sponsor. Thanks for listening. Axios Today is brought to you by Axios and Pushkin Industries. This episode was produced by Carol Alderman, Nuria Marquez-Martinez, Kara Schillen, Naomi Shaven, with music from Evan Viola. Alex Sugiyara is our sound engineer. Sarah Kihilani-Gu is our executive editor. And Pushkin, our executive producers are Lital Malad and Jacob Weisberg. You can write to us at podcasts at axios.com, and you can find me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. Don't forget to catch us tomorrow morning, but until then, tune into our afternoon show recap. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Thanks for listening. Stay safe, and we'll see you back here tomorrow morning.